for centuries, Christians have been known as men and women of prayer, people who lift up their cares and concerns to the Father in heaven. Why is that? Why do we pray? We pray because it aligns the mind of the Christian with the will of Christ. We pray because Jesus commanded us to pray at all times, in all places. We pray because the God who knows all and sees all, hears all. We pray because it is the blessed link between human weakness and divine omnipotence. We pray not because it is some religious rule, but because the Lord is God. We pray because it is the most simple and practical way to say, I am not God. We pray not because it is a burden to us, but because it liberates us from all other burdens. We pray because it is exactly what the devil does not want us to do. We pray because God can do more in five seconds than we can do in five years. We pray because it is the one thing that supersedes everything else on our to-do list today. We pray because we are too busy not to pray. We pray because somewhere, sometime, someone prayed for us. And we pray because the greatest tragedy of the Christian life is not unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. Prayer is powerful. That's why we pray. I, uh, I mentioned last week when I were, we were kind of teeing up or preparing um, for this series this, um, uh, a few questions, because there's this almost, there is this uh, almost universal response when someone uh, asks what kind of like the key components to the Christian faith are from like a personal level. Like, okay... Um, I, I come to faith in Jesus, and now, now what do I do? What's next? Uh, I, I've expressed faith in Jesus. I've asked Him to forgive me for my sins, to help me walk in faithfulness and obedience to Him and His Word, uh, to, uh, to, to save me for all eternity, but now what? Like, well, what's the next step? And almost the universal response is, well, there are two main things that we can do uh, as people who are responding to Jesus by faith. Is one is uh, we need to get you in your in the Word of God. We need to get you in the Scripture and um, digesting God's Word and asking God to reveal the truth of His Word to you and uh, to study it and to to experience the presence of God in His Word. And then the second thing um, is what. We get you praying more, right? We want you to be praying, to um, to to reaching the heart of God with your own heart and your own in your own language to begin to um, to begin to talk to God. Read your Bible and pray. It's almost almost a universal answer, and I'm not here to argue that at all, right? Like two, I would say, critical and foundational aspects to our walk with Jesus, our relationship with God, is to be in our Scripture more and to be Praying continually. Um, how many in here would, how many in the room, we did this a little bit last week, we're going to do it with a little bit more gusto this week, right? We're going to poll the room, okay? 
So how many in the room would say that prayer is or should be one of the most important practices or disciplines in the life of someone who is following Jesus? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah. So a, 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 pretty, a, pretty, clear, a pretty clear answer. Yeah, if we're following Jesus, uh, we probably should be uh, in some way, shape, or form pursuing a life of prayer uh, more and more. Okay, so all of the people that answered their, or raised their hands that yes, it is important. How many of you would say, um, I, um, I probably do not pray enough? Okay, same, same uh, kind of the same answer. In fact, maybe even more. Some of you raised your hands for the second one, but not the first one. Not really sure what that means. Okay, one more, one more. How many people in the room this morning feel that, at least in some ways, in some ways, that prayer can be or is um, a little confusing or maybe you would, you would say it's even a little bit intimidating or, or it exists in kind of this like unknown, I just don't know, I know that I, I, know that I should and I know that I don't do it enough, but I just, it kind of is like, I'm not really sure how to do it or if I'm doing it right. And it's just a little intimidating or confusing or sits kind of like at a place that seems a little far off from me. I have an experience where like, yeah, prayer is, I know it's important. I know I don't do it enough, but I'm just a little confused, intimidated, not really sure how to do it or how to go about it. We I want you to know that if you sit kind of in any of those places, in any of the places of, yes, prayer is important, yes, I don't pray enough, or and or three, um, one of the reasons that I might not pray enough is because I just don't really have a, a what I feel is like a full understanding of it. Maybe I'm a little intimidated by it. No one has really ever taught me how or prayed with me, and so I kind of feel like just kind of left out in the open to kind of figure it out all on my own. If you find yourself in any of those in any of those spots, I want you to know that you um, that you are not alone. That that you're not alone. Um, you know, there. I I've come under just personally speaking, right? Cameron uh, has come on, has come under. Um, a pretty significant, I feel, amount of personal conviction from the Holy Spirit lately that I don't pray enough. That I, that I, um, that sometimes I, that sometimes I'm, my, my number one, or the, sometimes the thing that I do first is I plan or I strategize rather than, um, then pray and seek the Lord. Um, I've kind of fall under the conviction that sometimes I, I try to work really hard and trust gifts, abilities, resources, relationships, networks, um, forgetting that none of that exists or there is power in none of that apart from uh, apart from my abiding in Christ and 
and seeking the heart of the Lord through prayer. Uh, under conviction that the foundation of my leadership right, is, not, is not any education, it's not any, um, any amount of years of experience, it's not an understanding of necessarily His Word, um, but, that, but that the foundation of leadership is a heart and a posture that seeks after the Lord and abides with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, um, primarily through the act and the work of prayer. And I know that that conviction has come upon me, right? And so what has been my experience is that um, often what God is uh, impressing upon me, He also impresses to uh, others that I'm in relationship with here. Right? Where that it... Uh, and so I, I'm kind of really asking the Lord uh, on our on conduit's behalf, and, and obviously invite you to ask that as well. Ask of the Lord and hear His voice and listen to Him. Um, how He would have how He would have us be as a church um, um, uh, pursuing a more de- a more deep a more sincere a more authentic, a more fervent, bold, and persistent life of prayer here. Uh, if, we are not, uh, if we are not a praying people, uh, we are a faithless people. Uh, and, if, and so uh, part, of, part of this series is one to, yes, it's two, uh, um, Maybe talk about some of the classic passages in Scripture that talk about prayer and ask the Lord for Him to reveal truth to us and, and by His Holy Spirit press that truth down deep into our souls. But it's also, uh, I think, an opportunity for us to mutually discern together and hear the voice of the Lord together about how we may shift and transform our lives together as, as a church to... Um, to show and to demonstrate that we do believe in the, both in, in the importance and the power of prayer for our life in Christ. Um, I, I do want to be clear about a few things at the outset here. Because did you know that... <laughs> Did you know that the enemy of our souls, that, that the enemy uses even um, our involvement or the practice of really good things to still try and leverage guilt and shame and condemnation upon us? You know? Um, this is really clear in uh, the first couple chapters of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, where Jesus was in the desert, right? And he had been fasting and praying for 40 days and 40 nights. And then the enemy comes to him. And what is the tool that the enemy uses to, um, to try and tempt Jesus? He uses Scripture, right? And so um, if, it, if, it, if it was not, if it happened in Jesus' life, right, we can be sure that, it, that, that the enemy can use um, spiritual and good things in our life as well 
to, to separate us from the love of God. And what I've often noticed, um, especially in my own life, is um, uh, that, that sometimes things like either, use the two examples this morning, reading our Bible and praying, they can be used or leveraged in our lives as tools of guilt and shame that the enemy uses. For instance, um, how many, you can either raise your hand or not raise your hand, I'll raise my hand in affirmation that this is something that I've thought before. Um, God is really disappointed in me, really mad at me, really angry at me, because I did not spend enough time in the Word today, and I did not spend um, enough time praying. In fact, there are several things that went wrong in my life today. And the reason that they went wrong in my life today is because I, I wasn't up at 4 a.m. And I wasn't up at 4 a.m. reading my Bible, and I wasn't up at 4 a.m. Uh, praying. And um, I w- was going to try to pray for an hour, but I, I only made it 45 minutes. And, um, and, and God is really, God's really angry, and He's really upset, and He's really disappointed. And if I would... If I would just be a little bit more committed. If I would just have a little bit more willpower. God would be, God would be more pleased. Um, and when we feel, right? When we feel like God is mad with us. Mad at us. Or when we feel like God is disappointed with us. Most of us don't run to Him. Most of us run away from him. Oh, God's really mad. I didn't read my Bible more today. God's really disappointed that I was not more committed to my life of prayer. And he's really mad and he's really disappointed. So I should run to him. Wait, no, I can't do that. He's mad and disappointed. I'm going to run away from him. And so what happens is we, ha- we get into this self-perpetuating cycle to the point of believing that, that we are living in sin. Because we don't pray and read the Bible more. Now we're going to talk a lot about prayer over the next five weeks, and my uh, my hope is that we'll you'll see this in Scripture uh, is that we don't really find any evidence in God's Word to us that a lack of prayer or Scripture reading causes an offense to the heart of God on our behalf, where he where he where he perceives that we are sinning because we are not praying more, and reading our Bible more. What we do see, however, as a kind of a steady, flowing truth throughout Scripture is that when we lack the practices and disciplines of of prayer specifically, but also being in our Word, that it's not that we live in sin, but it's that we forfeit a depth of relationship with God that could and does significantly affect the magnitude towards which Jesus is able to do His transforming work in our lives. The short of it is this, is that lack of prayer is not necessarily sinful, but it is and does represent an intentional decision to forfeit a greater depth to our relationship with God.
And so I believe that all of the things that God wants for me are, is good, right? That all of those things are good. And so, um, if I believe that God desires me to be praying more, desires, desires me to be, to be um, uh, encountering his, his living, Him through His living Word, that by saying no to those things, what I'm saying is, no, I'm forfeiting the goodness of God that is offered to me and the depth of relationship with God that is offered to me when I do pick up those things and experience both the presence and power of God in the midst of His Word and in prayer. So, let us stop forfeiting. Let us stop forfeiting what God offers to us as we meet with Him in prayer and as we meet with him in his word. Because what he offers to us in those things is his very self. Uh, now, lest we think that this is a modern problem, like this is a problem that only you and I have in the 21st century because we are just so distracted by our phones or our schedules or our you know, whatever the case may be, the reason that we don't pray is because that we're just more busy than the generation before us, right? Um, I, I'm going to propose that right from the very beginning of even when, we'll just go back as far as Jesus, when Jesus was displaying a relationship with His Heavenly Father that was lived out and worked out in prayer, um, that people had questions about like they 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 saw the life of God the life of Jesus as he prayed to his father and they were they wanted it and they were intrigued by it and they understood it as something significant in Jesus life so much so that they that they were eager to learn what was going on there now uh Here's the interesting. I've said this before. I'll say it again a hundred times over. I believe this is an incredibly insightful. Uh, it's not my insight, but that that if you look at what the disciples said to Jesus around prayer, it it really drives home like how what they saw in Jesus' prayer life. Think of it this way: You're someone who has been follow who's following Jesus around. You're going everywhere with him all over the Holy Land, up and down the Jordan River, to the Sea of Galilee, then back down to the Dead Sea, in Jerusalem, in the synagogues, in the temple, watching him raise people from the dead, heal them of sickness and disease, speak and teach with authority all over the place, offer compassion um, to the, uh, the hurt, the hopeless, the broken, and the bleeding, um, um, offering like or, or standing in opposition to those who take a uh, who are who are operating with a really hypocritical spirit to others and, and you're just watching this whole thing unfold right imagine what you would ask Jesus to teach you how to do I mean 
I think it would be a pretty cool party trick if Jesus could teach you how to turn water into wine. Right? You'd be a pretty popular guy. You'd be a pretty popular guy if Jesus could show you all of the ins and outs about raising people from the dead. Or about healing people of being blind or deaf or mute. Or Jesus, teach us how to understand God's Word like you understand it so that we can teach it with the same level of authority that you teach it. But out of all the things that they possibly could have asked Jesus to teach them, there was only one that they actually did. Lord, um, teach us how to pray. In Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the request that the disciples brought to Jesus was, hey, we see John's disciples praying. We see you praying, Lord. Lord, would you teach us how to pray? There was something of their time with Jesus and, 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 and undoubtedly something of what they saw in Jesus' own prayer life that made them come forward with this request. Lord, if there's one thing that we want to know, it's that we want to know how we can pray. So listen, even the disciples who were following closely with Jesus, it was not, it was not just readily known on how to do it on what the practice looked like, of what it meant to pray. That the disciples who were with Jesus actually asked for some teaching, actually asked for some instruction, for some direction, right? And so, and so if you're sitting here this morning being like, well, I mean, I should just know how. It should just be, it should just be really self-evident how to pray. It should, it, should be, it should be so crystal clear how to pray. I mean, like, well, even the disciples who followed Jesus and saw all of his ministry and life were a little bit like, Jesus, what's, what are you doing here? Help us. Teach us how to do this. Now, what was Jesus' response? What was Jesus' response to this request of teach us how to pray? Uh, well, Jesus' response was, um, was interesting. Because I, I think what, what's interesting about Jesus' response is not just what he um, did say, but also what kind of he didn't say. Here. Lord, teach us to pray. And what was the response of Jesus? Well, just close your eyes, bow your head, fold your hands. Maybe if you're super serious, get on your knees. And then once you do that, just empty your mind and allow the Holy Spirit to guide you. Whatever comes up, just pray that. Whatever, whatever you're thinking about, whatever's on your heart and your mind, right? Now, we're going to talk a little bit about the role of the Holy Spirit in prayer. We're going to talk actually quite a bit about that here in the next few weeks. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm certainly not. I'm, I'm certainly not saying right 
don't let the Holy Spirit guide you in prayer. Hear me when I say that, right? Don't email me about it this week, all right? I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to guide us in prayer. What I'm saying here is that there's something, I think, significant about the way in which Jesus teaches the disciples who are just learning to pray how to pray. Jesus offered them a prayer that they could actually physically recite in prayer, in, uh, in pray in a defined and stated manner. He said, okay, for instance, in Matthew chapter 6, this then is how you should pray. Not a, well, just, just kind of go with it, right? Just kind of whatever you're feeling, right? He says, no, this then is how you should pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. That Jesus offers to them this prayer. Now, Let's be honest. We, 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 it's always important that we be honest with the Scripture. We don't, let, we don't uh, read our own experience into the Scripture. We allow the Word of God to speak to us and inform us rather than us informing it by our own experience or expectations, right? And at a, um, at a very, uh, I would say, face value here, it's not clear whether or not Jesus was saying this is the only way that you can pray ever. These are the only words that you should say. We generally believe that what Jesus offered was at the very least a helpful pattern for other times that we pray. Because we certainly see elsewhere in Scripture where we are encouraged to pray in different ways for different things at different times to pray for healing over someone. To pray for wisdom or insight when we are lacking it. Things that are not explicitly laid out in the Lord's Prayer that is offered to us by Jesus. And so we see other examples in Scripture of things and ways in which we should be praying that are not here, that are not in the Lord's Prayer, but that's not to say at all that, that using the Lord's Prayer as a standard for us is unimportant either. So we, we don't, as, as people who believe the whole counsel of God's Word and the, the comprehensive wisdom of Scripture, we, we, don't, we don't have to be dogmatic about praying only, for instance, in the pattern of or in the words of the Lord's Prayer only all the time. But on the flip side of things, I believe that we should also be eager and willing to include the Lord's Prayer in our lives, if even occasionally. And I know that seems like a, well, yeah, of course we should, right? Like no one's arguing that, right? But sometimes what happens, what seeps into even our prayer life is this idea um, that uh, this idea that we um, that all of our prayer must be um, 
must be 100% 100 spontaneous. Without any direction at all. Without any sense of of what even Jesus taught his disciples how to pray. And I believe that this is one of the things often that can frustrate us in prayer because if we haven't developed the spiritual muscle of prayer over a long period of practice and then we go into it saying well i'm just going to sit here until i kind of figure out how to pray all on my own with no direction just listening to the spirit uh, the holy spirit in me we we can kind of get um, stuck in a state of spiritual paralysis where where we could be utilizing some of the tools that jesus gave his disciples right in front of them to, uh, to exercise the muscle of prayer that we have within us. Because listen, I, I don't, sometimes, I don't know if you ever feel this or not, sometimes we feel, I feel, I'll say, I feel this deep, deep, deep need to pray. Like this, down, not even, not even in my gut, right? Down in the pit of my soul. Like, I need to pray. Which, as an aside, which means that God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, is, is saying, come and meet with me. Come in in communion with me. Come and meet with me. Come come and be with me in these moments. I I have what you're looking for. I am who you need. Everything everything that your soul is yearning for in this moment can be found in my presence. Come and meet with me. And we can feel that deep calling, that deep down in the pit of my soul. Come and meet with me. Come and pray with me. And we just don't know what or how to get something up and out. Right? Now, as Paul says in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to talk about this in later later messages, the, the Holy Spirit can help us in these times where we feel the calling and the draw to come and meet with the Lord and pray. Right? But... Um, but, but also, like, this is an awesome and excellent opportunity to say, Lord, I, I feel and I sense you're calling me into communion with you and to pray. I, I don't have the words right now to say, Lord. And so, so let me offer the prayer um, that, that you taught your disciples to pray. My Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done. Not mine. On earth here as it is in heaven, give me, Lord, today the things that I need today. Forgive me, Lord, of the things that I have done that have caused sin towards you as I am forgiving those who have sinned against me. Lord, lead me, lead me away from temptation and protect me against the evil one. It, it, like, it, it calls on the throne of heaven. 
Now, I want to talk a little bit about some of the context around Jesus' teaching on uh, the Lord's Prayer. Um, so, we're gonna, I'm going to be teaching on a Matthew chapter 6 for this. So, if you have your scripture, open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Um, because the whole, the whole of the scripture is not, um, is not simply uh, on, on prayer. There's a, there's a wider context to this as well. So we're going we're gonna to start it at uh, Matthew 6, verse 1. Be careful, this is the words of Jesus, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. All right, so what is the context here? The, the context is Jesus reacting against um, the heart of the person who does acts of righteousness, in particular, giving to the needy, um, with the sole purpose that others would see what they're doing and laud them for their tremendous faith. Wow. Did you see what he did? Did you see um, how much she gave to that person? And, and the kind of the rhetorical question is, well, yeah, it's impossible not to see it because they announced it in the midst of their doing it. Right? They made sure that everyone was there to see what was going on. That everyone, want, that, that everyone could see how holy they were, how righteous they were. Right. And what Jesus says here is that when we, when we do our, the term he uses is, our, is acts of righteousness, when we do acts of righteousness so that we will be recognized and honored on earth by men and women, then the honor that we receive from those men and women is the totality of the reward that we receive for doing those things. Meaning it was like, you wanted a reward for the righteous things that you were doing. Yeah, everyone thinks you're super Christian now. That's your reward. You're getting nothing from me. Now, now, what is this also to say? Um, now, is this also to say that, that um, well, we'll talk about that in a second because it connects here. Now, the same hypocritical attitude that Jesus addresses in the first um, four verses, he carries on into the life and practice of prayer. Okay? The context is the same. 
which is why we started before, right? And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So the context remains the same, right? Um, did you know that, that when we pray, even for someone else, right? So if, if one of you came up um, to the kneelers after service, and, um, and you ask me, or Pastor Luke, or someone else, you ask someone else to pray for you, lay our hands on you and pray, and, and pray, pray for you, um, that, that, the, that our prayer, even in those moments, is not meant to be heard by your ears and cause spiritual encouragement in you. That when you come when you come forward to receive prayer, or when you pray, when you pray for or over someone else, you're not praying so that your words cause spiritual encouragement or healing for them. Right? Because we don't pray for the purpose of the person to hear our prayer. The purest posture of my heart in prayer is one where everything that I am saying, everything that I am praying is aimed solely and perfectly at the ears of the Lord and the ears of the Lord only. It is not my words that create the healing or the encouragement to the person. It is who it is that we are praying to that does the work of healing in the person that receives it by faith. That does the work of encouragement in the one that, that unites themselves with the prayer by faith. Now, that's not to say the same thing as saying that all, pray, all of our prayers are to be 100% silent. That was that may be what like a kind of a, a, a surface reading of the Matthew um, passage would would present. But it's to say that when I do pray out loud, your hearing of the prayer is not in order to be encouraged or challenged by it, but rather to come into agreement with it as members of one body so that we may be united in spirit to pray the same thing. Here's, a, here's an example, right? We'll, we'll kind of make it a somewhat absurd example just to kind of drive the point home. Let's say, um, say I ask Pastor Luke, Pastor Luke, um, I really, uh, I, 
I, uh, I need you to pray for me. Right? And then, um, and then so Pastor Luke comes and prays for me. And uh, we, we've all kind of been there. Or maybe we're in the midst of a, in a small group of people. Right? And the person sitting uh, next to us has maybe caused some offense or sin in our lives lately or whatever. Heavenly Father, uh, here we are where two or three are gathered in your name. There also you are with us. And Lord, uh, I know that you know how much of a jerk this guy has been um, and how far from you he is. And uh, Lord, we just want to pray for our brother that, that um, they would learn by our example how to walk with you. Um, and Lord, that they would stop doing the things that they're doing uh, and that they would be healed from this sin and set free from this sin. And, um, and, 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 and when, we, when we're honest with ourselves, what, what often happens in moments like this is that, is that we often begin to pray so that the person in the group with us hears it and is like, well, man, maybe I should do all those things, right? <laughs> who, is our, who is our prayer aimed at at that point? The person, right? Where, <laughs> when I need someone to pray for me, right? It's because I know I don't have what it takes to change or affect the situation that's in my life that I need prayer for. And so I don't need you to pray for me so that I would be encouraged and built up and strengthened. I need you to pray to the Heavenly Father uh, and I will stand in your presence and be in agreement with your prayer, united together in one spirit. But please, don't pray so that I would hear it. Pray so that he would hear it. That's who I need to hear the prayer. I, I, need, I need heaven to be moved by the prayer of someone who offers it in faith on, on, my, on my behalf. Don't, don't say it so that I would hear it. I don't need to hear it anymore. I need him to hear it. And I think this is what the heart of what Jesus is talking about here is that so many times that we, we pray so that others would hear our prayers. And while there's nothing wrong with others hearing our prayers, because when I, when I, when I pray and others hear it, it gives others the opportunity to say, yes, Lord, I stand in agreement with my brother by faith. Magnify the words of this prayer, Lord. Hear his words. We stand in one spirit together, Lord. I offer it in faith just like he offers it on his behalf, on his behalf, on whomever's behalf. And so it's not that our, our prayer in the midst of others is wrong, right? It's that it allows us the opportunity to come into a spiritual agreement with it. We shouldn't, I think, I think it would be a mistake here to overextend the words of Jesus into an understanding that all prayer out loud is bad and that we should only ever pray in secret where no one else can see us or hear us. This is especially true when you look at the life of the early church. It's especially true when you look at the, the, 
the spiritual tradition that even Jesus himself was coming out of as a Jewish man, where public prayer in the midst of, in the, midst of the community of faith was a central part to their worship. And I mean, for crying out loud, the book of Psalms is full of prayer that was meant to be offered in community. But read in its context, it's important here that we understand that Jesus is actually speaking to the heart of our prayers. And that God, when He sees the heart of our prayers um, are to touch His throne and not the ears of others, will reward what is done in the secretness of our desires of our heart rather than what is done just so it can be like a megaphone on a street corner. Now, what else do we see from the surrounding verses of the Lord's Prayer here? We see um, in verse 7 and 8. So, you know, your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Verse 7, and when you pray... Do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. It seems to me that prayer not only can be simple, but probably should be simple. Mm-hmm. That not that that this isn't. That this isn't just an exhortation that, hey, if you, if, your prayer, if, you, if you just pray really simple prayer, that's good, that's cool, great, that's what we want. But not only that it can be simple, that it probably should be simple. I, I don't know, I know that this is kind of a common experience in faith, but how many here, maybe in the room, we're doing a lot of theology by vote this morning, I get it, right? But how many, how many here today uh, would say that one of your struggles in praying um, is because you don't either you don't want to say the wrong things, or you think that you don't know how to talk in the super spiritual King James version language, and so you choose not to pray. Right? Yes, just Elaine. Yeah, come on. Like, let's stand with our sister here. Y'all lying, right? Right. I've got a couple of theology degrees, and sometimes I'm like, I'm just not sure that I'm saying it right, Lord. I'm serious. Right? Let's, let's stop faking it. Can we, get, can we stop faking it for a minute? Like, okay, maybe you all got it down on lock. I don't. I don't. And sometimes I'm like, man, it's really hard. I don't know what to say. And I feel like I say something wrong or if I don't do it in the right order or if it's not complex enough that, I mean, like it's just kind of like one side of the equation is going to negate or cross out the other side of the equation and, it, and, then, and then like all that prayer time is going to go to waste. Just Elaine and I, fine. I'm good with it, Whatever. Here's the thing, okay? Prayer should be offered in the language of our hearts. Not not the language of the super Christian you know. 
Not the language of your pastor or someone that you some podcast that you listen to. The language of your own heart, your own way of speaking, your own words, right? Because listen, we do not convince God to listen to us because we have fancy spiritual words. God is not convinced to listen to us because we say things in the right way or in the right manner or in the right order or with the right theological words to say. Jesus says that, hey, he already knows what you need before you even ask it. You're not impressing him with the words that you use. We are not somehow encanting God to magically work on our behalf because we deciphered the code of appropriate prayer speech. Jesus himself says here in Matthew chapter 6, do not keep on babbling like pagans. For they think that they will be heard because of their many words. God acts on our behalf and meets us in prayer because we are his children, not because we say the right words. He listens to us because we are near to his heart, not because we know the right order or the right syntax, or the, right, the many words to say. He meets us because we are his children. And because he delights to hear us. And what are our expectations? What, what, are, what are your expectations for the way in which a child speaks to you? We don't expect that our children would speak to us outside of their range or norm of development, right? Listen, I got five of them at home. I get it. Sometimes I look at them and I'm like, what? What did you say? But, but in the midst of that, right, we, we, don't, we don't say to our children, hey, um, come back in five more years when you're a little bit more articulate, when you're a little bit more mature, when you've, put your, when you've put your language together a little bit better, and then maybe I will listen to what you have to say to me. We, we, know, and, we know and understand that in our relationship with children, Right? And, and, and our relationship with God in, in prayer is the same. It is the same is true for God. So these two points that come out of the general context around the Lord's Prayer, these two things. Number one, our prayers should be focused on what God, not others, needs to hear. If you're ever praying for me, don't pray for me so that I would hear it. Pray to the Lord for what you know I need. Number two, our prayer should be in our natural heart language as a child speaks to their parent. Number three, 
Now, that then leads us to, obviously, the Lord's Prayer itself. He said, okay, we got these context things out of the way, right? Make sure your heart is right, that you're not praying so that other people notice or hear. Right? Make, sure that you're, make sure that your words are simple from the center of your heart and who you are. I don't need fancy words to hear you. I just want your heart. But then this then is how you should pray. And like I said, it's not clear from Scripture whether or not Jesus was saying this is the only way that you should pray all the time or if he was offering to us a pattern of prayer and a prayer that we may use whenever we feel like, Lord, I need to pray, but I don't know what to pray. But we do know that Scripture encourages us to pray in many different ways that we don't necessarily see here in the Lord's Prayer. And so we believe by faith, right, that, that Jesus is offering us a tool, a resource, a pattern, or even a defined prayer that we can offer when, when we feel like it's necessary or appropriate or we want to. So he starts the prayer like this. I'm, I'm, I'm out of Matthew's version here, okay? Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven. Once again, we pray when we pray. Jesus is encouraging the prayer to have uh, an audience or recipient of one. I'm not praying to you. I'm not praying to them. I'm not praying so that it may be heard over here. I'm praying so that the Lord may hear. And in particular here, I'm praying to my Heavenly Father, particularly because Jesus has, has made the way, has, has tore down the barriers or the obstacles between the Father and I so that I have access to pray to the Father in the authority of, of the Son through the partnership and power of the Holy Spirit. When we pray, our prayers are to be addressed to the Father. Heavenly Father. And the reason that we can boldly approach the throne with confidence is why? Because the blood of Jesus has made the way for us. We could not, we could not boldly approach the throne of God even in prayer without Jesus making the way for us. So we pray to the Father through the authority that the Son gives us by His blood. And as we're going to talk about in a few weeks, in the power of the Holy Spirit that lives in us by faith. That the Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are children of God. And that when we are weak in our natural and spiritual selves and know that we need to pray but have nothing that can come out that the Holy Spirit of God witnesses with our spirit and helps to pray on our behalf. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. This word hallowed is not something that we kind of use in 21st century culture or language. 
but what it is, is it's a, it's a confession. We, we confess in the moment, the word Hollywood means holy or glorious or separate, right? And it's a, con, it's a confession to say, Lord, I know exactly who I'm praying to in these moments. I know that 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 I that I am praying to the God of heaven. That I am praying to the the creator and sustainer of all that there is or ever was or ever will be. That your holiness and glory is unapproachable. That there is nothing in you that is lacking. Your name is to be great and to be glorious and to be honored and to be worshipped. Among all, above all else, you are God. And by default, what? I am not. I have nothing in me, Lord, that addresses this situation. I have nothing, I, I, I have no power within me that is not given to me by you. That it is you and you alone, Lord. Prayer in this way, is an act of withering our own pride and recognizing that apart from God that we can do nothing. We stop praying when we stop believing that God is different from us. Why would I need to pray when I can just figure it out on my own? Why would I need to pray when I know what's going on here, I know everything, I can handle this situation. Why do I need to pray when I trust that? I trust myself. You shouldn't. You shouldn't. When we trust ourselves too much, we trust God too little. When we believe in ourselves too much, we believe in God too little. And and, and, and nowhere should we be encouraged to think, man, this is just one of those situations where I don't really need God's help. I'm all on my own on this one. I got it. And I will tell you that, that we, we generally will stay away from a life of prayer when we are drowning in our own pride. On our own, I need no help. I need no instruction. I need, why would I, why would I have to rely, why would I need my pride withered in the face of a holy God? Your pride is deceived, deceiving you. Prayer is an act of withering our own pride and recognizing that apart from God that we can do absolutely nothing. Verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is another act of pride withering, plan canceling, will destroying. It is not my own plan, Lord, that I trust in. It is not my own pride or giftedness or resources that I will rely on. It is not, 
my plans, my, my plans do not matter, Lord. My will does not matter. Wither my pride, cancel my plans, destroy my will, Lord. It is your kingdom come in, your, in my life. It is your will be done in my life, on earth, in my life, as it is right now in heaven. How many people here think that there's a whole, a whole lot of autonomy in heaven? Like people just walk around doing their own things. Believe in their own things. Fulfilling their own plans, their own purposes, their own will. Right? There is no autonomy in heaven. There is one Lord. There is one plan. There is one purpose. There is one glory. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's His. It's all for Him. It's only ever been for Him. And so if we're willing to pray this prayer by faith, what we're saying to the Lord is, Look, Lord, I pray that you would destroy everything in this life that is about me so that everything in this life that is about you would come to the surface. Prayer is an opportunity to pray that all of the things that God desires to be done will be done. We often believe that the way that we see our situations the way that we see our circumstances, the perspectives that we have on life are the ones that are truly best for us or that God even truly wants. How many people here, though, today, again, theology by vote, maybe it'll just be Elaine and I again, but that's okay. <laughs> How many people here today can say that sometimes we jam plans through the calendar of our lives knowing that even though we may want to see them, God has something else different and better for us. Yeah, right? But Lord, I really think this is a good idea and this is a good plan and, and this is a good path and, and this is a good direction. And you know what? It may be good, right? But something being good is not the same thing as something being from God. Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane was a perfect example of this. It's the classic example, right? In, in Mark chapter 14. What, what does Jesus pray in Mark chapter 14? He prays the your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven prayer. He says this. What do we have here? Verses 35 and 36 in Mark chapter 14. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. This is just as Jesus was recognizing that the, the time for him to give his life was nearing. This was not, he was not confused about what was happening, nor was he unaware. He knew exactly what it was going to require. And he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you have the faith to believe in the goodness of God so much that you would pray calamity in your life if it meant the fulfillment of God's purpose? 
This prayer is also in part a call to action for us in the church. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It, it calls us to take up the plans of God, the will of God here on earth in the prayerful expectation that God desires the realities of heaven to be the realities of earth. I don't know how you get around this, this reality, right? That God wants to bring the reality of heaven to bring the reality of earth, right? And so, in all, in all, for all practical intents and purposes, what does that call us to as those who live as resurrection people in the reality of the heaven that Jesus has birthed in us? How will we change and affect the world around us? Are we carrying with us the fragrance of Jesus Christ into every place that we go so that when we are there, it is like the reality of heaven is being birthed in that very moment? Or is everywhere that we are going is just a stench of the world? We're carrying with us the hopelessness and brokenness of the world. We're passing that out to people. It is what it is. Or are we walking in the reality that what Jesus prayed here and taught us to pray is, is where we really are and can be? To be incarnators of the heaven reality in the earthly reality. Give us today our daily bread. Now, all throughout Scripture, um, we see that bread was, uh, I mean, obviously it was actual bread, right? But it was also a significant symbol of God's provision for his people. Take the, the um, Israelites in the Exodus, right? When they were without food, right? They called on the Lord, let us go back to Egypt. At least we had full bellies there, right? And he provided for them manna, bread from heaven, right? To provide for their needs. And it, and it even, it still remains a symbol of the provision for, for basic needs even still today. What do we, what do we call the, the person in the household that brings home the money? The breadwinner, right? I haven't gone out and bought a real actual loaf of bread and I don't know how long, right? Right? I'm not winning any bread for my family, but it's meant to say, right, that it, it, it signifies the, the provision for you. It teaches us. Give us today our daily bread. It teaches us to come to God in a spirit of humble dependence, asking Him to provide what we need from day to day. As I was reading, um, researching this week, uh, I read a story about um, an orphanage in Korea uh, right post the Korean conflict, the Korean War. Right. And, um, and with so many lives lost, orphanages were full of children whose parents had been lost in the conflict in the war. 
And um, what they were seeing is that um, children would be given, they're they kind of just thrust into this very uncertain environment. Who are these people? Where are my parents? What, like, this is a weird thing going on, right? And they were taken very, they, they were taken care of very well, right? given, given three meals a day, right? Given a warm and comfortable place to sleep, giving people around them, right? Um, uh, but <clears throat> what, what they were noticing was, especially at the last meal of the day, that there was an incredible amount of, of displayed anxiety in the way that the children ate the last meal of the day. There was both a franticness to eat it, and there was a desire to take it and put it in their pockets. It was kind of this dual quality that they were recognizing. And so what they did as, uh, and what they did as, a, as a way to address this is that they gave each child on their pillow when they went to bed at night one single slice of bread. They just placed it on the pillow. Very rarely, they said, did the child actually eat the bread. But what it symbolized for them was that you can rest without anxiety and with peace and security knowing that the need for you has been met already. Sleep peacefully. Rest. Let your anxiety melt away. Because the one who provides for, uh, food for the birds will provide for you also. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us here in the, in, uh, the, uh, the, the actual like way in which this is uh, structured here, the way in which it's structured for Jesus is not forgive us our debts as we also, but forgive us our debts in the same manner in which we have forgiven those who have debted against us. Forgive us, Lord, in the same manner in which we have forgiven others. And this is a common message of Jesus. In fact, he goes on to say it after the Lord's Prayer in verse 14. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You couldn't say it any more plain than this, right? That the measure of the forgiveness that we receive from the heavenly Father is matched in equal proportion to the eagerness and willingness through which we walk in a spirit and offering of forgiveness to those who have hurt us. The two cannot be separated. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We know here uh, from the whole council of Scripture that God does not tempt us to sin. Uh, in James chapter 1, verse 13, um, uh, the writer in James here, see if I can get there before it comes up on the screen, erase the screen. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. It goes on to say that by, but each of us by our own evil desires of our heart are enticed and are tempted, right? So, so we, we, we pray that we would have, that we would have deliverance and freedom from temptation and from the one that brings temptation into our life. That we, we, we would be delivered from the one that does tempt us and leverages the already, the already existing evil in our hearts. I feel like so much of so much of our lives, especially our spiritual lives, so much of our spiritual lives and our spiritual growth and our transformation, we we want to make it about um, not having enough information. We've talked about this before, right? We really just want to make it about not having enough information. Um, like, well, if we could just learn more about prayer, we would be better at praying. Or, um, if we just had more information, I don't know, name, name the thing, right? If we just had more, more knowledge that it would really change the realities of our life. Um, I think kind of like, I think the cat is kind of out of the bag on that in our culture. That we, we do not suffer for lack of information. There is more information all, just about all of us carry supercomputers in our pocket every day. Where we can, we can access any bit of information that we need and a lot that we don't. And the, I guess the feeling or the sense that I'm getting uh, even now is that, yeah, okay, all the information here, ah, it's important. I'm not going to say it's not important, um, but it's also not that important. It's also just not. I think the spirit that runs through the Lord's Prayer here in this whole section is that um, is that as we lay ourselves aside we will be drawn into relationship with Jesus or with God through prayer. And as we elevate ourselves in our own mind, we by default um, uh, diminish or decrease both our reliance, our trust, and our desire for communion with God. And so while I do want this whole series to be a opportunity for us to learn. What I 
definitely desire more is that, is that we would be not just transformed in our minds, but we would be transformed in our practice. Are we willing to pray? Are we willing to allow the Spirit of God to wither our pride? So that we would not forfeit the blessing of communion with Him. Over the next uh, four or five weeks, we're going to be... These are the the general... um, topics that we're going to be talking about week to week here in prayer. I uh, should have a slide up here for you. Um, next week, we're going to talk about the relationship between prayer and fasting and what fasting is and how we practice it. And then we're going to have uh, an opportunity to actually like together as a community practice fasting for um, portions or periods of the week. And then on May 12th, which is a Friday night. We'll have a, a, a prayer and worship service here in the evening where, um, where we'll, we'll break a fast together. Um, we have one week where we're going to talk about other dimensions of prayer in Scripture, what it means to pray with boldness, persistence, and fervency, which are three words that are used to describe the prayer life of um, those who follow Jesus. We're going to take a week where we talk about um, prayers that are dangerous to pray. <laughs> um, this would be examples of like, you know, what, what, I, what I say to people all the time is you, you do have to be careful about the prayers that you pray because when you start to pray prayers that God wants answered in your life, that answer often comes quick but not always comfortable. Like when we, when we approach the Lord and we pray with an earnest and sincere heart, uh, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Um, creating in us a clean and pure heart means that God is about to burn away a lot of stuff. Right? And so there are prayers that are dangerous on the surface, but that are, that are good. Um, and then uh, the last week of the series, maybe... It's a lot, I don't know, but is the we is Pentecost? We're going to pray specifically about prayer in the early church, and what 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 happened at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, right? And um, and and how did prayer how did prayer completely reorient and change everything moving forward from that moment on? Um, but um, we'll also starting next week, be offering you some additional resources because, like I said, my desire is that you would be, uh, that we, that we would be, not just talking about prayer and learning about prayer, but that we would be changing in our prayer lives and, and practicing prayer together and, um, and being, uh, being people who, who willingly let the Lord wither our pride so that we can be changed um, and transformed by the communion of His Holy Spirit. Um, going to have our worship team come back up to lead us in worship once more.
Why don't we? Uh, why don't you join me in prayer here for a moment? And uh, and would you pray with me? You you know. You know how to pray this prayer, or we'll we'll pray it together. All right. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Lord, we want more of you. More of you in our heart. More of you in our family. Lord, we want more of you in your church. Lord, I pray that you would tear down any any place where we have put an obstacle to keep you out of. And ask, Father, that um, as we as we reach to you in prayer, that that you would transform us and that you would show us, Lord, all, all that you have for us and desire for us as we become a praying church and a praying people. In Jesus' name, amen.